And these daily Bible classes are an extension of his expository or verse-by-verse teaching ministry at Lakeside. First century Jewish men had a shameful attitude towards women, but not Jesus. He entrusted a woman with the most important message ever delivered. Pastor Steve will be sharing much more today about the tremendous respect Jesus had for women and the vital role they played in his earthly ministry. Even so, leadership in the first century church was a male responsibility. Paul wrote to Timothy that an overseer must be the husband of one wife. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and begin our lesson. Leadership was entrusted to the men in the early church. While women are essential to the body of Christ, they are not to function as leaders over men. Now in recent days, in recent years, this biblical absolute of male leadership has been challenged by many. Not only outside of the church, but the subtlety and dangerous part of it is that it's been challenged by those in the church. People who, who uh, claim to be evangelicals are now questioning their own views on the roles of men and women in the church. Views they have held to historically for years. The church never really doubted this until recent years. Not the, not the evangelical church, not the conservative church. There are seminaries who have gone against this truth. There are respected leaders who have gone against this truth. As in most cases, the things that society believes, the church is just following suit. That's the way it always is. Society says something, and the church jumps on the bandwagon, and uh, that's exactly what's happened here. The feminist movement came out in the 60s, and the church just hopped on the feminist movement bandwagon in an effort to be more appealing to the world. But what has happened, that in doing so, the church has abandoned the absolutes and the truths of the word of God and doesn't know where to stand on this issue and must quite honestly uh, twist scripture to fit their own preconceived notions. Now, I want to say, and this is why we're just taking a broad overview tonight, because we cannot deal with the text of 1 Timothy 2, I feel, without laying the groundwork. No honest student of history, no honest student of history would and could deny that women have often been abused and oppressed and treated unfairly by men. There's no question about it that's taken place. The Roman and the Greek and the Jewish world definitely, at least for the first century, had a male bias in their view of women. For instance, in the Roman world, in the Roman world, it was basically male dictatorship. You look back and how uh, how the males dominated their society. It was male dictatorship, not just leadership, dictatorship. The husband's will was law without any appeals. What he said went, and the woman and women had absolutely no choices in the matter. They had no appeal. They could not say, might I suggest that that was not a type of language a woman in the Roman world would even use. In the Greek world, Sophocles said this, silence confers grace upon a woman. That's what he said. Most Greek women, unless they were very poor or they, they were loose in their morals, led a life of seclusion. They had their own apartments obtained by their husband, and only the husband could enter into that apartment. She was to see as little as possible, hear as little as possible, and ask as little as possible. Now, the typical Greek male attitude towards women was summed up by Demosthenes when he said this, and I quote, We have prostitutes for the sake of pleasure, 
We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and having a faithful guardian over all our household affairs. And that pretty much summed up the Greek view of women. A very low view, a very pitiful view, a very male prejudice and bias view. Now, the Jewish culture, I did not get this from the scriptures, but their culture evolved like this. They felt that women were, were uh, really less than men. They often belittled women. The traditional Jewish male prayer said this, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, who has not made me a woman. That's what they would pray. And it would, they would sometimes go on to say, and you haven't made me a, a slave and a Gentile as well. And so they, they just kind of lumped everyone together, and they were very thankful they were not women. Many rabbinical sayings slandered the value of women. To teach the law to a woman, for instance, was said to cast pearls before swine. I think this attitude is brought out in the film in recent years, Yentl. It was a book before it was a film. And Yentl is the story of a Jewish young woman who wanted to study the Torah, wanted to study the law of God, but by her culture was forbidden. Uh, theological education for women was forbidden, but her father would secretly study the Torah, which is the first five books of Moses, with her together. And this is what the writer of the book said. Together they poured over the Pentateuch, the Mishnah, the Gemara, the commentaries, she had proved so apt a pupil that her father used to say, Yentl, you have the soul of a man. So why was I born a woman, she said. He responded, even heaven makes mistakes. Now it was to this female oppressed world that the gospel first came. Understand that it came to a Roman world, a Greek world, and a Jewish world. And when the gospel intervenes in people's lives, it elevated women to a new status they had never enjoyed in life. The gospel does not put women down. It elevates them. It elevates them. Women were so oppressed until the gospel came. Jesus spent time with women and he respected them. You read through the gospels and you see that he spent time with such women as, as Martha and Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and John, Johanna, Susanna, all of them, in fact, were there, just about all of them were there at his crucifixion, faithfully watching. Jesus spent time with them. He respected them. He talked to them as human beings. He allowed a woman to touch him. She touched him to be healed. Remember that story, how she said, if I could just touch his garment, I could be healed? It's very interesting because in Christ's day, women uh, could not even count change in a man's hand because they feared physical contact. It's like you'd get in a store and a woman hands you and she says, now here's a quarter. And Couldn't do that in Christ's day. But Jesus allowed a woman to touch him. Totally, radically different from his day and age. Not only that, he revealed himself to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He spoke to her. He didn't belittle her. He thought she was worthy enough to hear that the Messiah has come and they discussed true worship together. Christ allowed a small group of women to travel with him and, and his disciples. Would you look in Luke chapter 8? This is very interesting. Uh, I don't know if you've ever wondered where uh, Christ got the money to sustain his ministry, who took care of him, but he allowed women to sustain his ministry. I don't understand exactly how that was carried out, but Jesus allowed something unheard of in his day. He allowed women to travel with him. In Luke chapter 8... 
Verse 1, and it came about soon afterwards that he began going about from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Johanna, the wife of Husa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to, uh, uh, to their support out of their private means. Remember later, Judas wants to take the, the money bag and, and use it, and they really wants to steal and use it for himself. Where was that money? Where did they get money for the money bag? Most likely from women like this, who the Lord allowed to contribute to his ministry. This was unheard of in his day, that women would travel like this with men. The very first witness of the resurrection is not a man, she's a woman. Mary Magdalene. And the Lord sends her to witness to the male Apostles, despite the fact that the Jewish courts of that day did not allow a female witness. You know why? I hate to even say this. It's because, though, they believed that all women were liars. And yet the Lord sends Mary with the most important news that anyone could possibly bring, and he knows she's not going to allow so. He knows that she's going to deliver it, and she did. She did such a wonderful job of it. Jesus elevated women to the same level as men, as spiritual equals. Something unheard of in the Jewish world, something unheard of in the Greek world, something certainly unheard of in the Roman world. But I want you to understand, though he exalted them as spiritually uh, equal with men, he did not exalt them to a place of leadership over men. The apostles, as we said, were all men. And I want you to know, even at the cross, when these faithless men fled, remember this? I mean, Peter said, we'll be right there, Lord, we'll not forsake you, and then they're gone. Wouldn't that have been the great time, just a great time, if the Lord was going to do it to say, you guys are through. And there were some faithful women who stood at the cross. Wouldn't this have been the most perfect time for him to say, uh, ladies, are you ready now? I gave the men a chance. They fled. You remain faithful. You're going to be the new apostles. But he didn't do that. that he could have done it then if he was going to, but he didn't do that. He didn't dismiss the men as apostles and replace them with the faithful women, regardless of the fact that they were much more faithful than the men and courageous. You must turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. If you are to understand what the Bible has to say about women, Galatians 3 is the key passage. And I might add that it is the key passage for those who would strongly disagree with what I'm teaching. If I could even say this term, the evangelical feminist movement rallies around Galatians 3.28, which says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is a grand statement that concerns the spiritual equality of everyone in the body of Christ. This is the key verse. If you read up on this subject, as I have I have magazine articles, books, commentaries, uh, just theological journals. That it, it always comes back to this verse. So it's important for us to understand it. This verse has become the rallying point for those who believe that, that uh, men and women have uh, no, more, any, no more distinctive roles. The roles have been erased in Christ and men and women can be leaders and women can lead men and so forth. And this becomes the rallying verse. But what does Galatians 3.28 really mean? Does it mean that women can teach men? 
Does it mean that there are no longer roles in the body of Christ? Does it mean that we could have female pastors? Does this what this means? Is that the implication of this verse? Well, I want you to see, first of all, it says there is neither Jew nor Greek. No longer Jews in the body of Christ. Why Paul in, in uh, Romans says, I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, he goes on to say in Philippians. No more Jews? Then how come Paul said he's a Jew? How could he teach about the remnants if there's no more Jews? No more Greeks in the body of Christ, meaning Gentiles? How could Paul say in Romans chapter 11, I'm speaking to you Gentiles? If there are no more Gentiles, how could he address them as Gentiles? If there are no more Jews, why could he say he's a Jew? Let's look a little bit further. There is neither slave in the body of Christ, it means. No more slaves? Then why does Paul spend part of Ephesians chapter 6 instructing slaves to obey their masters? Why does Colossians speak of this? Why does Paul spend many times speaking about slaves? He goes on to say, nor free man. Why does Paul speak about those who are free, who are masters? If there are no more slaves and no more free men, why would Paul address them that way? And then he says, there's neither male nor female. Are there no longer distinct roles for men and women? There are Jews. There are Gentiles. There were slaves. There are free men. There are males. There are females. It certainly cannot mean that there are no longer distinctive roles for them. In fact, you want to know all the passages that deal with distinctive roles of women, and, and as we study 1 Timothy 2, we'll deal with them. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, 1 Timothy 2, all refer to the special role of women. Titus chapter 2 as well. What is this passage teaching in Galatians 3? Let's look at verse 23. Always take the Bible in its context. Paul says, but before faith came, that is faith in Christ, before Christ came, before the gospel came to you, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. We were just kept in custody, Paul says. The law kept us in custody. We were under the law. Therefore, the law has become our teacher or our tutor to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. First thing Paul is saying, you were under the law. He's writing to the Judaizers. He's writing actually to this church at Galatia. And they were so influenced by the Judaizers who came in and said, you must keep the law to be saved. And Paul said, no, no, no. You used to be under the law. But when the gospel came, you were no longer under the law. The law was to lead you to Christ. The law reveals your sin. Once you have your sin revealed and you come to Christ for salvation, you don't need the law anymore. He says the law was our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. We're no longer under the law. The law has led us to faith. It has served its purpose. For you, now watch this, verse 26, and here's the key. You are all, not just males, not just free men, not just Jews, but you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
What he's saying is that all of us are, are in Christ. Gentiles aren't left out. Slaves aren't left out. And certainly women are not left out. That's the point. You are all. Notice verse 27. For all of you. That, and the key word is all. All of you who were baptized into Christ. And we said this morning it simply means having trusted him. The spirit of God places you in Christ. Have clothed yourselves with Christ. In other words, nobody's left out. This isn't a... Uh, a secluded type of group. This is an elite uh, theological system. This is for everyone. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are what? All one in Christ Jesus. The emphasis is on all. In other words, when it comes to the gospel and to being justified, we are all on the same level. I as a Jew have no more spiritual privilege than anyone in this room. In, in Paul's day, a master or a free man did not have any more spiritual privilege than a slave. And what he's saying is, you men haven't got any more spiritual privilege than a woman. You're all in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Know what he's saying? He's saying... That women are as much a part of the Abrahamic covenants as men. In Jesus shall all the nations of the world be blessed. That's what the church is all about. We're the people who have been blessed by the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, you, you women are just a part of the, as much a part of the Abrahamic covenants as the men are. In other words, we have an equal standing with men. You have an equal standing with men. It's all the same. The same spiritual privileges that men have, women have. The New Testament letters are written to men and women. Men and women are baptized. The promises are for men and women. It is all equal. That's what he's saying. But I want you to understand that equality before God doesn't rule out role distinctions. If for a moment we could, we could even forget the issue of men and women, let's just say parents and children. Child comes to know Christ, he has or she has every spiritual privilege that the parent has. But it does not mean that the child now can rule with the parents. No, there has to be authority. There has to be submission, even though equality is maintained. Equality doesn't rule out authority and submission. That is a principle throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 11.3 tells us something that I think is very, very helpful for us to see. It sort of illustrates this. 1 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God, meaning God the Father, is the head of Christ. Now, how can that be? I thought Christ and God the Father were equal. Yes, they are. Is Christ any less God than the Father is God? Don't you dare think so. That's heresy. No, Christ is equally God as much as the Father is. But that doesn't negate the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was in submission to God the Father. He voluntarily took that role upon himself. So you see, you can have equality without having authority over someone. Now that brings us to 1 Timothy 2. And we will not deal with the text. I will just introduce it. 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is one of those passages in Scripture, very controversial, 
And it's one in which the Apostle Paul teaches the Ephesian church how their women are to submit to male leadership when they gather to worship on Sundays. The context is worship. In fact, I'm going to call this series Women in Worship. That's the thought here. And I want you to see verse 8. Verse 8 says, Therefore I want the men in every place, meaning the males, in every place, in every church, in every church home, I want the males to uh, pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Just as men in the church have the responsibility to come with purity and holiness in order to leave the church. Now watch this. Verse 9 says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves properly. The, the issue of verse 8 is the role and the life and the, of, and the heart of the men who come to worship. Paul says, I want them to be pure. I want their hands, which, which represent their lives and activities, to be cleansed. I want them to come with pure hearts. If men are to lead in prayer, and they are there to lead, they are to be godly who lead. And the women who come to learn and to worship, they are to be godly as well. The issue of verse 9 and following is the role and the life and the heart of women who come to worship. That's why he uses the word likewise. Just as men ought to come with purity of heart, so women come with purity of heart. Now next we're going to look at women in worship. And we'll see her appearance as she worships. We'll see her attitude as she worships. We'll see her activity in the worship assembly. And then finally we'll look at her accomplishments. But I want you to understand that when the Bible deals with women, it does not deal in a chauvinistic kind of attitude. There is nothing like the Bible that has elevated women to the status that they ought to have. The gospel frees women from being second-class citizens, but it does not give them the right to be in leadership over men. Women are to be honored. They are to be respected. They are to be cared for by their husbands, and they are to be led by the men in the church. Shall we bow for prayer? Father, we're grateful for the role that women have played in the life of your church. We think of how many uh, women missionaries have, have gone off to the field in obedience to Christ. We think of the vital role that women play as they teach children, as they teach one another, as they disciple one another, as they've been involved in Sunday school. Lord, this church could not function without women. And yet, Father, we, we have to uphold the standard of men being leaders. And so we pray as these scripture references have passed through into our minds that we pray you'll prepare us for a very fascinating study into 1 Timothy chapter 2. We pray that you'll help us to be true to the word. We pray that our women here might not only accept what the word of God has to say, but might be satisfied with it and enjoy their role and not fight the spirit of God. We are, we're so grateful, Lord, for the committed women that you've given Lakeside Community Chapel and their desire to honor you and their desire to support their, their husbands and their desire to train their children. And, and, Father, we pray also for those who are single, the single women in our church, that, that if it's in your plan and will, that you'll, you'll bring godly husbands to them to lead them, to provide for them. And we pray for each husband here, Lord. We pray that you'll help them to be the leaders that, that we ought to be in the church, 
and in our, in our homes as well. So we pray that you'll take the truths that have been shared and apply it to our lives and help us have the highest view of women that we ought to have because the scriptures teach it. But we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. It was a pleasure to have you join us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. We are almost out of time, so let me just close by inviting you to be here for our next Bible class as Pastor Steve continues to unwrap what the Apostle Paul had to say here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 about what used to be a non-issue maybe 60 years ago but has become a controversial topic in our churches today, women's roles in church leadership. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We're talking about the burnt offering in Leviticus 1 and how that burnt offering had to be a blemish-free, a perfect sacrifice if it was to be offered for the atonement for sin. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians underlines this point when he says that we are saved by faith in Christ alone, not our works. Because we human beings are infected with sin, we cannot offer a sinless sacrifice.